Children's Church, if they'd like, through the door over here by the instruments. And uh, Dave, would you come and minister to us this morning? Well, praise the Lord. If you have your pew Bible, it's kind of nice to be able to say that because you heard me say we are planting church and we have to set up and tear down every week everything, instruments and everything. So to be able to say there's a Bible right there for you in front of you, that's kind of nice. Philippians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, if you have a few Bible, it's page 1163. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says this. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. By the way, I might as well just stop there and say it right at the beginning. Now, how many chapters are in Philippians? If you have your Bible there, you can look and you can see that there are four chapters in Philippians, right? The Apostle Paul's writing to the church and um, he's on chapter 3 and he says, Finally. So you know what that means, right? He's halfway through his message, and he says, finally. So when a, when a pastor or minister says, finally, in their sermon, you know what that means, right? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Paul had a way of really speaking kind things, didn't he? For it is we who are of the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regarding to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray over the Word, shall we? Lord, we thank You for the reading and the hearing and the preaching of Your Word this morning. Lord, I pray that it would be life to the hearers, that, Lord, we would receive something from Your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that You would speak to every one of us who are gathered here, that we would all hear something by Your Holy Spirit. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul begins this section of Scripture, and he says, finally, 
Rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you are one of those time-conscious people, I'm, I'm told that we end at 9.30, 9.35. Is that pretty accurate? You didn't answer me. So I guess, that's, uh, I guess I can do whatever I want. So, all right, I'll tell you right at the beginning where we're going here so that if you are time-conscious, you can kind of know when it's time to leave. I want to say two things this morning. Paul begins this section with a thought and he ends with a thought. And you know, it would take about four sermons to cover everything in between. So I want to talk about what he said at the beginning and what he said at the end of this section. The first thing Paul says, is, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul didn't just say rejoice. Everybody say the word rejoice. rejoice. He didn't just say rejoice. So to work something up and be happy. But no, rather Paul said rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, I, I should remind you where the Apostle Paul is writing from as he is speaking these words. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison and he is chained to a Roman guard. Anybody ever been in jail? I didn't think you'd raise your hands right then. You probably wouldn't want to. Uh, for a while in my life, I used to put people in jail. Uh, when I was a young man, I thought that was the thing. After I got out of the military, after being John Wayne for a little while, I decided I would be... Um, a police officer. So I did that for a little while and I would put people in jail. Listen, jail, no matter what you've heard, jail is not a nice place. There are not nice people there and, that, and the convicts um, are just as bad as sometimes the people that are putting them in there. I know, I did it. Paul is writing from jail, chained to a Roman soldier, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. If we know Christ, then we always have a reason to rejoice, even though there are times when we don't feel like rejoicing. I have, um, I have a bunch of props here for you today that I want to just show you. You might not be able to see from where you're sitting, but this magazine is the voice of the martyrs. And if you can't see it from where you are, there, there are a couple of ladies on the front cover here. And they are... Joyful. There are big smiles on their face. Their hands are waved in the air. They are rejoicing. I would say they are rejoicing in the Lord. Now, the reason I know that is because if we had time this morning, which we don't, and I were to read you from the inside, these ladies are from Nigeria. And the northern half of Nigeria is Muslim, and the southern half is predominantly Christian. And what is happening is the Muslims from the north are invading the southern the southern portion of the country, and they are ravaging the Christians and the Christian churches. And the story goes on in here to tell about how the Muslim raiders came in and destroyed this pastor's church, um, killed a whole bunch of people, hundreds of people died, and yet on the front page of this we see these ladies living in this kind of environment rejoicing in the Lord. Now, all of us that are here this morning that know the Lord, we have a reason to rejoice even when we don't feel like it. My, um, my family is not here, except for my wife, of 31 years next weekend. 31 years. And yes, and yes, we were five when we got married, in case you were wondering. Here we were. But 17 years ago, we had a son who was born one pound 15 ounces. His arm was about that big. 
14 weeks early. One pound, 15 ounces. 14 weeks early. Now, how many of you know that during that period of time, I didn't feel like rejoicing? But I always had a reason to rejoice in the Lord. Because no matter what happens in this world, there's always a reason to rejoice because we know the Lord. Somebody say amen. You know what I'm talking about. Well, the good part of the story is that 17-year-old kid is now um, um, perfectly healthy. The one that was born one pound 15 ounces is perfectly healthy. In fact, he's on the wrestling team in his high school and on the rugby team at his high school. This once frail little body that we didn't think would survive a day is now wrestling and playing rugby. You know, we're watching rugby one day, and I said to him, I said, Nate, I said, what do you notice about all these guys that are playing rugby? He's like, what? I'm like, Nate, all of them, their nose looks like this. They got no teeth. They got scars all over there. You know, what happened to tennis and golf? No, wrestling, (laughs) rugby. But during that period of time, we didn't have a reason in the natural to rejoice, but there is always a reason to rejoice in the Lord. Okay, so that's the first thing I wanted to say. Now, the second thing I wanted to say is what Paul said at the end of the text. So you know what that means? I could be like the Apostle Paul right now and say, okay, finally, brothers, and I told you what that means, right? Absolutely nothing. I want to read verse 13 and verse 14 out of the Living Bible. If you have your Bible, you can look along, but verse 13 and 14 says this. Paul says, No, dear brothers, I am still not all that I should be. But I am bringing all of my energies to bear on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. As I was reading this text, it happened to be about two weeks ago, as I was reading this text out of Philippians, I had this book sitting on my coffee table. And the title of the book is Driven by Eternity. If there is anything that I want for my life, and I pray for yours as well, is that we as believers would be driven by eternity. As I'm reading, I see this on my coffee table, and I'm reading what the Apostle Paul said, and I said to myself, That's exactly what Paul just said. I am living not for this life, but I am living for eternity. Paul said, I am pressing on toward the mark of the prize of the high call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The Living Bible says, for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. Paul was speaking of eternity. Everybody say eternity. The introduction of this book, I'd like to read some of it to you if I may. It says this, What is it about the word eternity that catches our attention? In fact, has the potential to influence, influence an entire nation. Such is the story of Arthur Stace, an Australian born into a life of hopelessness at the turn of the century. His life was that of a bum filled with petty crime and alcoholism between the First World War and the Great Depression. All of this changed when he met Jesus on August 6, 1930, and soon afterward heard his pastor cry, I wish I could shout eternity through all the streets of Sydney. He felt driven to make this cry 
a reality. Arthur would rise early each morning and pray for an hour and leave his home between 5 and 5.30 a.m. to go wherever he felt like God led him. For hours he would write one word, eternity, approximately every 100 feet on the sidewalks of Sydney. For more than 20 years his work was a mystery. Who was writing this single word that caused countless thousands to pause and ponder its meaning, both immediate and long-range? Had, the mystery, had, the, had this mystery man captured the impact and portion of this single word's power? It wasn't until 1956 that the puzzle was solved. Two years after Arthur's death in 1967, Sydney poet Douglas Stewart published these words and immortalized the word of this graffiti preacher. That shy, mysterious poet, Arthur Stace, whose work was, one, was just one single mighty word, walked in the utmost depths of time and space. And there his word was spoken and he heard, Eternity, eternity, it banged him like a bell, dulcet from heaven sounding, somber from hell. A one-word sermon touched a nation. His message was secured for generations by architect Ridley Smith, who put it in, a, in copper plate in Sydney Square. It was later viewed by over four billion souls worldwide as they watched by television the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympics, and again when it was emblazoned in fireworks on the Sydney Harbour Bridge on the eve of the new millennium. Eternity arrests the attention of all mankind. No race, tribe, or gender can re resist its draw. We were created with eternity in our hearts and sense the imminent unknown extension of our existence. Therefore, it is wise to delve deeper into what our Creator says concerning eternity. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he said, look it, I am living my life not for the here and now, but I am living my life for eternity. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, he has made everything beautiful in His time. And He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The writer says that God has set eternity in every one of our hearts. There's not one person alive that doesn't have an idea or a thought about eternity. Julie and I years ago were at the hospital bed of a man in Baylor Hospital in Dallas, Texas, a man who for his entire life denied Christ. He lived a lifestyle that was completely opposite of what God calls us to live. And yet on his deathbed, called for us to come and pray for him and with him because he knew that he was slipping into eternity. Paul said, I'm living my life not for now, but I'm living my life for eternity. Well, I want to give you three things that the Apostle Paul says in here that helped him live for eternity. How did Paul live for eternity? What, what was his life about that he could live that kind of life? The first thing we see in the life of Paul here when he says in um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, 
the first word I'm going to give you, and I pulled it out of the Living Bible, is the word energy. Paul says, I'm giving it my everything. Can I just say this? Living for eternity doesn't just happen. It requires energy. How did Paul live for eternity? Paul said, I live for eternity by giving it my all. Like, it's kind of like a runner in a race. When they are getting to the finish line, if they are racing somebody else and it's a close race, when they get to the finish line, what do they do? They stick their chest out, they lean forward, they are going for the line. And they want to get to the line first. It's ta- they're straining everything to get to that finish line. And Paul said, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm giving all of my energy living for eternity. Running the race toward the goal is a familiar theme for the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said this. He said, do you not know that in a race all of the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, I am running the race toward eternity with everything that I have. How many runners are here in the room? Any runners in the room? God bless you. I see that hand. I don't know how many of you read the um, Daily Bread. I love the Daily Bread. Because even if I'm rushed, I can still get it. I have it come right to my phone now, so there's no excuse. As soon as I check my messages in the morning, there's the Daily Bread. The Daily Bread, August 15th, says this. It's talking about this theme, running. I I hate to run, by the way. I, I hate to run. How many of you are with me? You hate to run. I see those hands. Okay, it's about 200 to 1 in the room, okay? I hate to run. I have two nephews that run the Boston Marathon. They've done it several times. I I have no reason to do that, ever. I go into the marathon, I drink my coffee and watch them run by, and then I go home. That's it. That's the extent of my running. But it says here in the Daily Bread, it says, run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. Then it tells a story. It says, the Pikes Peak, Pikes Peak Ascent is a challenging mountain foot race covering 13.32 miles while gaining 7,815 feet in altitude. My good friend Don Wallace ran it 20 times. How many of you know Don needs medication? <laughs> in his final race, He crossed the finish line one week before his 67th birthday. 13.3 miles while gaining 7,815 feet in altitude for 20 years, finishing his last one at age 67. But here's what I want you to hear. Instead of training just before a race, Don ran six miles a day year-round, with rare exceptions. Wherever he happened to be, he would run six miles a day, 
and he's done that for most of his adult life. Paul says, run in such a way as to win the prize. You know what it takes to live for eternity? To run in such a way as to win the prize? It takes energy. Paul said if you want to, if you want to win the race, you have to put effort. You have to put energy into it. Living for eternity doesn't just happen. Several years ago, I was at a Christian festival in India. 50,000 Christians at this Christian festival. And I said to the guy who was running it, I said, where do all these people come from? 50,000 people. Where did they come from? He said they travel for days to come here. Some of them walk. Some of them take trains and then walk. Some of them take a bus or a little motorized rickshaw if they get close to a town. But they come from all over the place to come to this Christian festival so that they can hear the Word of God preached for a few days. And they sit out there all day and all night. No hotels to go, to go sleep in. They stay there. Food and water is limited. 50,000 people. Why? Because they are so hungry to hear the Word of God. Paul said, run in such a way as to win the prize. These people didn't just show up there. They didn't call the taxi and, and just show up, be there. No, it took energy, it took effort to get there. And that's what Paul is saying to you and to me. Run the race in such a way, put energy into it so that we can win the prize. In India, again, I traveled all over India. I was in Kerala state, which is the most Christianized region of India. And then we went up into the Punjab region of India. If any of you have been there, you understand what I'm talking about when I say this. Missiologists call this the darkest place in the world because it is so spiritually dark. When we left our hotel to go to the meeting we were going to up in this Punjab region, we had to leave our hotels, uh, we had to leave our Bibles in the hotels because we couldn't be seen walking with our Bibles through the village, through the town to get to our meeting. A missionary that was there while we were there was clubbed and hacked, nearly had his arms severed by the radical Hindus. So we go through town, through this little village, down this street, down another side street, and then down a little side alley, and then into a warehouse, and then to the back of the warehouse, to the back of the warehouse and up some stairs, into a room that was the furthest back room in the upstairs of a warehouse. And when we walked through the door, there was the most... By the way, this was absolutely beautiful worship this morning. When we walked through the door, the singing and the worship was the most sweetest sound of worship that you have ever heard in your life. Because here was huddled in this little teeny room in the back of her warehouse, down a side street, down an alley, a group of Christians singing praise and worship unto the Lord. I want you to know it took energy for those people. It took effort for those people to get to the place where they could come and worship God corporately. Paul says if you want to win the race, you have to put energy into it. There are three things Paul said. How many of you know we're in trouble? It's 9.30. <laughs> I told Pastor Jeremy when I came, I said, I, I hope I don't get you fired when I come. 
Maybe in the next service. Second thing Paul said, if we want to live for eternity, is we have to forget the past. Now, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. Now, what is it that Paul had to forget? What did he have to leave behind? Well, there's good... How many of you know there's good things in our past and there's bad things in our past? I have some things in my past that I hope you never find out about. Some of you have some of those too. And there are some things in our past that we want everybody to know about. Paul said, I have to forget everything in my past. Paul had just listed all of his accomplishments. Tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the right day. Hebrew of Hebrews, zealous for God. Paul just listed all of his accomplishments, all the letters that came after his name. You know, all the DD and the MD and the MDiv and the RN and the MSN and the MBA. All the letters that we put after our names. We want everybody to know those letters, you know what I mean? Paul said, he lists all of his accomplishments and he says, Forgetting what lies behind. Listen, there are things that we have accomplished with the Lord in the past, but that is not enough. If we are alive today, I want you to know that there are things God wants us to do today and tomorrow. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind. Paul had to forget the good that he had done in the past and press on. Paul had to forget the bad that he had done in the past. Here was Paul when Stephen was being stoned and they laid the coats. Where? At the feet of the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. I mean, this was a bad dude in his former life. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the mark of the high prize of the call which is in Christ Jesus. Paul had to get beyond everything to follow Christ. I got an email that I won't read to you this morning for time's sake. I got an email from a young guy who had been visiting our church over the last few years and I would sit I would see this guy come in he would sit up in the balcony nothing against balcony people he would sit up in the balcony I'd see him he'd just slide in and he would slide out I didn't have a lot of dialogue with him and then he disappeared I knew of him his mother goes to the church he just disappeared a couple weeks ago I got an email from him thanking me Thinking, thanking me for what? He had to endure a bunch of sermons for a little while. But while he sat up there, he says in the email, I was trying to get my life together, but I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and I was spending over $1,200 a week to support my habit. $1,200 a week. And he said, I cried out to God. And he said the most amazing thing happened when I cried out to God. He said it was minutes later that he got a call from his drug dealer. Now, I don't know if you know anything about drug dealers. They usually don't do what I'm about to say. His drug dealer called him and said, I think I need to take you to rehab. This dude is making 1200 bucks a week off of him. He cries out to God. And this guy calls him up and he said, I think I need to take you to rehab. The short of the story is this. He goes into rehab. Another series of a couple of what I would call miracles happened. He finds himself in Teen Challenge in Vermont and he gets his life completely together. And he writes, he writes in this email back to me. He said, I just want to thank you for sharing God's word with me while I was there trying to get my life together. Listen, he had to forget the past 
and move on. You can't move on with God if you're still clinging to the past. Somebody say amen. All right, the last thing I'll say in closing. Finally, brothers. Finally, brothers. Paul said if you want to live for eternity, you have to put energy into it. If you want to live for eternity, you have to put energy, motivation into it. If you want to live for eternity, you have to forget the past. If you want to live for eternity, you have to focus on the eternal. Paul said, I'm pressing toward the mark. Toward the mark. Can I ask you, what are you pressing for this morning? I wish we had time this morning and we don't. This is a very spiritual magazine, by the way. If you can't see it from where you are, I'll tell you what it is. It's a very spiritual magazine. It's Sports Illustrated. You will, um, you will be incredibly uplifted and challenged in your faith if you read Sports Illustrated. This edition. The picture on the front is Tim Tebow. I don't know if you know who Tim Tebow is. Tim Tebow is the quarterback for the Florida Gators. Two-time national champion. Heisman Trophy winner. In here, it says he has uh, under his eyes Philippians 4.13. In one of the championship games that he played, he had written under his eyes here John 3.16. During that game and after that game, John 3.16, I wish I had brought the statistic with me, was the most searched phrase on Google. John 3.16. During that game and for hours after that game. Why? Because one kid who happens to be the quarterback for the Florida Gators, two-time national champion, Heisman Trophy winner, writes here, John 3.16 and changes the lives of thousands of people who go to their computer. John 3.16. What is John 3.16? Paul said if you want to live for eternity... By the way, men, get this magazine if you don't have it, because there's another art, Christian article in here. In here it says about Tim Tebow, it says, you've got to love Tim Tebow. And there's a big, big cross in there, and it tells Tim's, Tim's story. How his mother was told to abort him as a child because he wasn't a viable fetus, as like we were told with our son. This kid's not going to make it. Get rid of him. And here he is now, one of the most outspoken people for the cause of Christ, Tim Tebow. So what's the point in that? Not to tell you about Tim Tebow, but the point is to tell you about what the Apostle Paul said. If you want to live for eternity, there's got to be a focus. I'm going to live for eternity. I'm going to do something for eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for allowing us to be together in this room. And Lord, I just happen to believe that somehow you ordained all of this to happen and Lord, You even ordained what would be said in this room. So Lord, I pray that You would again quicken our ears, quicken our hearts, Lord, that we would hear what You by the Holy Spirit says to the church. That Lord, You want us to focus on eternity, put our energy into eternity, forget what lies behind and press toward that mark of the prize of the high call of God which is in Christ Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone here who's never given You their life, I pray that today would be the day that their focus changes, their energy changes, and they put their heart and they give their heart toward you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.
Let's stand together to respond to the Lord this morning. Thank you for those words. Let's fix our eyes on the eternal God, the maker and creator of all. Let's worship him together. We respond to him this morning.